with that, why don't you grab your Bible and let's open up to Luke uh, chapter 19. Not going to take a lot of time here, but um, I don't want to just be up here and not open God's word with you. So let's do that. Luke chapter 19. Today is Palm Sunday. It's the day traditionally about 2,000 years ago that Jesus enters Jerusalem uh, the week before he's going to die on the cross. So look at verse nine, Look at verse 28, starting in chapter 19. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. After he said this, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. As he came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you'll see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, well, the Lord needs it. I dare you to try that this week. <laughs> Verse 32, so they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. Verse 35, so they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. As he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. When he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings on the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. He replied, If they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. But as he came closer to Jerusalem and he saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it's too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They'll crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it when the Lord visited you. I just want to walk through this briefly. I want you to consider this story from three viewpoints. The first, let's set the scene. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem and he's coming from the west through Bethpage and Bethany. And the way this is set up, if, you, if, if I could take you there and kind of fly over it and show you, is you have the Temple Mount and then to the west is the Mount of Olives. And by mount, uh, maybe not a mountain like you think mountain, just big hill though. And on the back side of that are some of these villages. And Jesus is coming from the west. And this, by, way, by, by the way, is the harder way to get to Jerusalem. You've got to go up and over and down. And, and so Jesus comes in and he camps out on the other side of the Mount of And he says, hey, go, go into town. There's a guy with a colt. Just tell him the Lord needs it. If you're one of Jesus' disciples and he tells you that, what are you thinking? I mean, on face value, you're like, okay, sure, I'll try it. But at the same time, you had seen everything he had done before, Right? Okay, yep, it sounds crazy, but this, this will work. He'll, he'll give it to us. So they go in, the Lord needs it. What's he do? He unties it, gives it to him, he takes it back. But think about that. The Lord needs it. Jesus needs it. The creator of the universe, the one who spoke everything into existence, the one Colossians says holds all things together, owns all things, control. He, he's God in the flesh. And he needs a donkey? It wasn't the first time he borrowed something. He had also borrowed a boy's lunch that he used to feed 5,000. He had 
uh, borrowed a boat one time for preaching. In a couple days, he's going to borrow a grave. Even in his death, the king didn't have anything to his name on this earth. It's pretty ironic. The one through whom everything came into being has nothing. And yet this is the way that the king of the universe rides into Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. Now again, picture the scene. He gets the donkey, he gets the colt, and if the king is coming in, wouldn't you expect him to ride in on like a big Arabian horse? But what's he come in on? Little Sebastian. It's just a little, little donkey that he just rides in on. And, and think about the scene. He, he's, this, this little fool, I mean, he, he's probably crushed a little bit under the extra weight. Like, what is, going, what is going on? I'm used to little kids getting rides, but who's this guy? His feet are dangling, almost touching the ground. It's kind of a humorous scene, isn't it? Yet that's how the king enters Jerusalem. And I think Jesus had in mind this prophecy from Zechariah when he did it. Because Zechariah prophesied uh, this. I got ahead of myself. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem, see, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus was, up until this point, every time somebody tried to tell everyone who Jesus was, what did he say? Quiet. Don't tell them what's happened. Don't tell them who I am. It's not the time. Yet here he comes, this triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and now's the time he's telling everybody who he is. And him riding a donkey might seem foolish and strange to us, but ultimately he's sending a message. Hey, if you know your Bible, here I am. Here I am. Here's who I am. And he comes in. Now as he comes in, uh, there's people lining the streets. And, and imagine what happens. Think of it first from their perspective. They've seen all of his miracles. They've seen the things he's done. And all of a sudden, one guy takes his, his cloak off and he runs out in the middle and he throws it down in front of him. And somebody else gets excited and they do the same thing. And then a woman takes her, her sweater and she throws it down and they start throwing it down before him as he walks in. And young men are climbing trees and they're ripping palm branches down and they're coming down and waving them and throwing them down on the road. See, this wasn't just him coming to Jerusalem. For them, this was the procession of a king. They knew who he was. They had seen what he had done. And as he comes, he's going to come up the one side of the hill of the Mount of Olives, and then he's going to come down the other side into Jerusalem. And I wonder, for all the people on the other side who started to gather, and you hear the emotion, and you hear the people singing, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And the people are getting fired up, right? And as he crests the top of that hill and they see him, what are they? There he is! There he is. And everybody's going crazy for this guy riding in on a little colt. So that's the perspective of those who knew who he was, but consider the perspective of the religious leaders. Consider what they saw. See, the the regular people had tasted and seen that Jesus was good, and so they worshipped him as such, but then the religious leaders... 
Jesus, in a sense, was kind of putting them in a spot. He was riding in on the donkey saying, hey, I'm the guy Zechariah talked about. I'm that guy. And I'm proclaiming it publicly. And so you guys are going to have to make a choice and either say, yes, that's who he is, or you're going to have to do some kind of vote and, and do something. Well, clearly we know what happens, right? They refuse to believe. And instead, uh, they condemn him. And eventually they would kill him. See, while everyone else is yelling, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, um, they're condemning. Their hearts aren't filled with joy. Their hearts are filled with judgment. How about you? When you see Jesus coming, you hear that story over and over and you you look at the leading of Jesus and you look at the words of Jesus and you hear it, the gospel proclaimed and even sung this morning. How do you respond? Do you respond like the people throwing their cloaks down saying, yeah, that's, here's our king, that's him, he's the one? Or do you go, I don't know, I don't know. This is a good, you know, it's a good social time to come on Sunday. It's, it's where my friends are. I get some free coffee. But... I don't know, the whole singing thing, the whole really engaging my heart and giving of my emotion and my time. I don't know, that's strange. That's kind of how the Pharisees saw Jesus coming. Which way do you see it? But there's a third viewpoint here, and it's Jesus himself. Consider his viewpoint as he crests the hill and begins to come to Jerusalem. See, when he, verse 37, when he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, so in other words, when he got over the top and he's coming back down, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. They were all singing, blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven, glory in highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. And Jesus just replied, if, if they keep quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. But then as he came closer to Jerusalem and he saw the city ahead, what did Jesus do? What was his perspective? He began to weep. He began to weep. How I wish today, he said, that you of all people would understand the way to peace. And I wonder for some of us, if you would look to you, like he looked on Jerusalem and like he would have looked on the Pharisees and said, I wish that you of all people, you've heard it preached. You've sung the gospel. You've been here week after week, month after month, year after year. I wish that you would believe. And for Jerusalem, he says that the time has passed for them to respond. But here's the good news for you. If you're still breathing... The time hasn't passed. You can still repent. You can still turn to Jesus. He'll still save you. He'll still make you new. Would that you would believe. That's Jesus' heart for you. I wonder what all he saw when he crested the hill as he comes into the city. Surely he saw what was ahead of him that week, but did he see into the future even all those who would reject him and all the evil. Maybe he saw you sitting right here. He said, I wish that you would repent and turn to me. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that uh, he entered Jerusalem knowing what was ahead of him.
that he didn't quit. That he went forward with the plan that he died on the cross for my sin so that I could have his life. Father, I pray for each one here who hears my voice. I pray that today uh, they might repent and turn to you if they haven't. For those of us who do know you, help us to continue to repent of our own sin and to become Jesus more like you in our walk and in our life. Father, I pray for the future of our church as well. Jesus, this is your church. You're the senior pastor, I'm not. You're the one who who appoints and, and hires the staff, we're not. And so I, I pray this morning for our future, whoever you might have for us as a third pastor. I pray that you would um, give us wisdom as we search, that you'd open our eyes, that you'd prepare that man even now, and that you'd make it uh, plainly obvious to us. Thank you for the unity you've given our church and the blessing you've given to us. I pray that that would continue and that, Jesus, you would be made much of here. I pray all this through you. Amen.